Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Shared Ireland podcast. So today I'm very excited and really looking forward to talking with today's guest. A guest that'll need very little introduction, particularly for Tyrone and GA listeners. Welcome along to the Shared Ireland podcast, Mr. Peter Canavan. How are you? I'm very well, Niall. Thank you very much. We're only after winning all Ireland, for God's sake, so how, how could it not be well? Indeed, the whole county is still very buoyant. And I, I see on social media um, a few people from other counties asking us when are we ever going to take the flags down. <laughs> well, we've waited a while to put them up, so we're in no rush to take them down. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Peter, I'm sure there won't be many that won't be aware of you in some shape or form, and I know you're a modest person. Um, but for the benefit of any of our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with you, and I guess I ask this question to all our guests, could you tell me a little bit about your upbringing and early years and, I suppose, what helped shape the person you've become today? Yeah, born in 1971, just outside Ballygolly, a wee place called Glen Cull. Um, my father, butcher by trade, and worked on the farm. We were reared on a, on a small farm. And my mother ran the post office, local post office, and then Cull. And I was number 10 out of 11 children. Honestly? Yep. Oh, there you go. I didn't know that. Um, I have five older brothers, five older sisters, and Joe is my uh, younger brother. So it was a lively house. It was uh, a Kaelian house. There always was plenty of people when I was growing up, you can imagine. Uh-huh. What, what a house was like. Looking back on it now, um, I don't know how my mother managed to do it in, in particular because I see young families now with one or two children and mothers stressed and fathers stressed and work and uh, money and lifestyle and everything else. Yet my mum was able to, and the house was pandemonium and mayhem at times. And not, oh. only, not only was she cooking for us, cleaning us, cleaning and washing her clothes. Uh, she was running the post office. She was running mm-hmm. a job. And that job wasn't, you know, nine to five. No. People were calling at any time of the evening. How many bedrooms were in the house? <laughs> yeah, there was an interesting one. There was only four bedrooms. And initially, I, I recall I might have only been five or six when the house was done up. Up to that point, there was definitely only four. Then there was one, two, there was five bedrooms when I was a young lad still doesn't stack up too well when you consider mummy mummy and daddy had a room of their own uh, so so four bedrooms shared between how many um, brothers and sisters again uh, ten so it was <laughs> eleven of us now bear in mind at, when I was growing up some of the boys maybe were away or were out of the house or some sure. of the girls would have been at college or, or whatever Yeah. but at weekends I do recall as a youngster maybe three or four years of age my mum putting you to bed mm-hmm. in one room mm-hmm. and uh, some of the girls would come in see somebody in their bed lift you out of the bed and put you into another bed some, the, partial. some of the boys would come in <laughs> see somebody lying in their bed lift you up and they could see so you'd get around a right few bedrooms before you get a nice sleep yes. but look that was at part and parcel our, our family are still very tight and, and are very close we got on really well and that's testament to my mother and father and how they ran the household. Um, so, it, look, I have really good, happy memories of living out in the country. Um, outdoor life was, was very important. And the football was the only thing we knew in terms of sport. Where did you go um, to secondary school? Pri- primary school was St Malachy's um, in uh, Glen Cull. Mm-hmm. And I went to St Kieran's Ballygolly, oh. um, and there, just in the road. My mother was uh, on the board of governors, mm-hmm. and very good school. All our family went there, and Eugene McSorley was a was a principal back then at at that time. And likewise, at the time, you mightn't have thought much of it, but looking back, we had great memories and great times at at St Kieran's. So. Um, that much so that you, you went on to become a school teacher yourself well that's right I had a lot of good role models I suppose at, at St Cairns Ballygolly and after I finished seven years in St Cairns I went to St Mary's teacher training college up in Belfast mm-hmm. Falls Road and Trench House at that time it was split in two um, and had four years there and I left in June 93 
and managed to get me full-time employment in September 93 when I applied for the post in Holy Trinity College in Cookstown. And you're here ever since? And I've been here ever since. Do the maths for me. That was 28 years ago. 28 years ago. That's right, 1993. Wow. Well, I guess that says a lot about you as an individual staying in one job for that long. And it says a lot about the school and the people that you work with as well. Ab- absolutely. Um, and again, a bit like St. Cairns, there's times you, you're scratching your head wondering what you're doing here. But um, there's great people that I've worked with. And there is still great people that I work with here and really enjoy their company. And there's great pupils that have come up through the ranks from you know 28 years ago so much so that uh, you'd be embarrassed at times when you're out and about and somebody comes over and they might be 40 years of age and they still call you sir um, <laughs> I know but funny I would still have that tendency if I bumped into any ex of my school teachers I would still have that and then you say to yourself cop yourself on my god that's right. calling them sir and there was a young lad in here that had left a couple of years ago with his work boots and he was just off the farm and he was calling me Peter and happy as Larry to call him. He says the first time I ever called you that. But they, um, so yeah, good memories here. And of course, I'm heavily involved now in fundraising for the new school. Um, I would just like to give you an opportunity to touch on that very briefly before we get into what we're here today to talk about. So tell me, what is the project that the Holy Trinity School, Cookstown County Tyrone, are currently embarking upon? Yeah, well, we're getting a new school now, basically, and we've been trying, I'd say, close to 20 years to get a new school we've been crying out for it but we're on the verge of it now and we're hoping that the new build will begin in January um, it's a massive project it's, it's over 30 million project and the school has to raise a part of that themselves that we have to raise over a million so I'm heavily involved in that I'm, I'm leading the charge we have a foundation board set up Holy Trinity Foundation comprised of local community and, and business leaders and they've been very giving and very generous of their time and helping out and supporting and coming up with a strategy whereby we can try and, and reach our target because it's all going to the new build to ensure that the the pupils here and in, in years to come will be coming into a brand new school with the best facilities and it's something that this area deserves and the pupils and families in this area deserve. Um, Peter, sorry for putting you in the spot if you maybe don't know the top of your head, but if somebody did want to don't make a donation um, obviously they can contact the school or you directly um, but have you an online presence for yes we do there's holy trinity foundation and um, even through the school and um, my numbers uh, is on that number and email and if there is those that would like to make uh, a contribution it'll be more than grateful we've also set up our alumni association which is for past pupils and, and members of staff who want to uh, make a small contribution and then they're part of a network which receives information and, and updates on, on the new build as well. So it's full steam ahead with, with regard to that and uh, I'm looking forward to the day that we walk into a new school here in Cookstown. Absolutely and as you rightfully said the people in this area and the, and the future pupils deserve that opportunity so fair play to you and well done. Peter, we normally talk about politics on this podcast and debate the merits and benefits of a new shared Ireland. But today we'll be talking about something completely different, but very much related, I believe. Um, Mental health, suicide, and I guess coming from your perspective, how sport can maybe help in some way. Um, And I'd just like to add this, if I may. Um, There's absolutely, I firmly believe, no point me or anyone else for that matter talking about the benefits of a new Ireland while our population are taking their own lives. While referrals to a mental health team are in excess of two years, has someone really got that luxury? The luxury of waiting 18 months or two years if they have a mental health problem? I don't think they do. So Peter, it's on that basis that we're having this conversation today, I guess. Um, I suppose the first question, and it may be a pretty blunt one have you or anyone close to you Peter ever suffered with any form of mental health issues um, yes as the answer to that and thankfully from my own point of view uh, I'm, I have been blessed that uh, I haven't um, needed to, to, to speak to anybody um, but in, in terms of people that are close to you absolutely and 
I'd be amazed if you know if every family in some shape or form haven't been been uh, affected by someone struggle, struggling with with uh, mental issues. Um, I think it was a definitely a, a taboo subject years ago. Absolutely. Um, I think you're talking in the space of four or five years that there, there have been massive strides taken and that people are now understand and appreciate that illness is an illness, be it physical or, or mental. And if you get a sore head, you, you take something to, to help you get better. Um, so um, from, from, from that point of view, <laughs> mental illness is, is, is no different. I, th- I think you, you, you mentioned something that, that really resonates with me there about an illness is an illness. If somebody's walking down the street, and if they're on crutches, for example, people move out of the way, they open doors for them. But when you walk down the street with a battle going on in your own head, you look normal. So people just understandably treat you no different from anybody else. And I think that's the point of us wanting to speak about this, to make it more public, is that, you know, there is options out there for people. And you're, you're not on your own. And I know that's a cliche, and I nearly hate saying it. It's okay not to be okay and all the usual uh, one-liners that people yeah. throw out. But there <coughs> genuinely is help out there, even if it's only speaking to your mother, your father, your brother, a friend, and sometimes even a stranger that has no preconceptions and isn't going to judge you. Uh, you know, just, you know, I suppose that's the message I want to get across here. Please reach out to anybody. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's very difficult now, and, it's, and you know, I'm a teacher here in school. We've over a thousand pupils here. Yes. Um, we've had pupils that have taken their lives in, in the past, pupils that I would have been close to, and pupils that I would never would have imagined had, had issues. Mm-hmm. Um, family members, the same, friends, yep. the same. Some that you are aware, and some you simply haven't a clue. And mm-hmm. So it's, it's very hard to... To help somebody when when you think that they're really that they're strong or that they're in a, in a good place themselves, and that's that's the problem with with mental health. And and I know I have been able to point people in the right direction before, and that that's good, and that has given me comfort that I've helped somebody because I'm I'm pointing them to a person who is going to be of enormous help to them. It's like sending somebody to a doctor that's going to cure you. So. Um, I, I think that's the difficulty it's identifying those that need help and, and we're trying to get and encouraging people to open up themselves and, and that if they need to talk to someone that there is people out there there's people willing to lend an ear and there's people that, that are going to help them but you know it's it's, it's just very difficult in some cases in some families when, when people aren't given any indication maybe that they're, they're not well I, I had several very interesting conversations with Mike Nesbitt, um, MLA, and Mike is, is a massive advocate of mental health. Sorry, I hit that and, and Mike uh, and I had several conversations with this, and, and he has put together an initiative in his own local area, and, and I thought it was fascinating, and it's something that, that I certainly want to try and roll out maybe here in, in our area in Magulster. And basically, a very short uh, version of what he's done is, and it takes time to do this, he's went to, say, Asda, Lidl, Tesco, McDonald's, KFC, local corner shops where you go in every day and buy your milk and bread. People that are interacting with customers on a daily basis. So basically you get to know somebody over the years and you, and these people could be the front line and maybe identifying. If they're a regular, Mr. Joe Soap comes in and he's normally buoyant or she's normally buoyant, but they notice over a period of weeks that they've lost that sparkle or that there's something bothering them. And I, th- I thought it was brilliant, the concept. So it's basically getting these people into say a local community hall over a period of a year and giving them the tools to maybe identify if somebody's mood or behaviour is slightly different. That's the quick uh, version of what's your thoughts well, on that well, idea? Very good, but that's why I advocate so many young people to take part in sport mm-hmm. because all those things that you're doing, you know, that's that's what happens in, in, in a sporting environment. So. 
a young person that's, that's not well, very hard to identify. And just because they're kicking a ball around the field doesn't mean to say that you, you can identify that someone needs help. Mm-hmm. But because they've been at that training session, because they've made friends, because they've got close to people mm-hmm. who are on the same pitch with them, those are the people then that can speak to that person or that problems can can, can surface. So it's it's getting out and, and uh, keeping an eye on each other mm-hmm. and that's that's the beauty of, of sport mm-hmm. and the friendship that, that, that brings with it. Whereas in, in this past couple of years in particular with so many people working at home, mm-hmm. what what interaction is there in the workplace and a lot of workplaces? Right. Next to none. So it's easy for people to isolate, mm-hmm. to stick to, to themselves. So the more people can get out and engage with with each other then there's a there's a better chance for people to, to maybe identify with them and, and see you where there's problems and that's the beauty of sport apart from the benefits of taking part in physical mm-hmm. activity itself it's it's the social and mental benefits that uh, uh, come with it are every bit as important absolutely i suppose you've answered a couple of my next um points but uh, as we spoke about at the start here, you're a secondary school teacher, uh, the Holy Trinity here in Cookson, Tyrone. And I guess you deal with young adults every day. And I'm sure what you've already alluded to, even some of your pupils have taken their own lives. I, I guess what impact, Peter, had that got on you and your fellow teachers? But maybe more importantly, because they're younger, students. Yeah, it's a hard way up, to be honest, Niall. The, the impact it's had, um, obviously, it's, it had a serious impact on, on friends and, and people that were close to them. And, you know, the, the one case that, that I'm thinking about in, in particular, young fella took his life, had really good friends. It wasn't a case that he was, he played sport. Um, you would have thought from the outset he was outgoing, that he had everything going for him. But you you just weren't aware of, of what and you'd often feel could he have spoken but you know could you have done more could t- staff have done more? I think that's the big question we all ask ourselves and beat ourselves up. But my God, I sh- should I have not uh, maybe that's identified right. something? That's right. So look, it's um, all all you can do is is put things in place whereby pupils when they come in uh, and I know it's the case here that they know that there's people here for them to speak to, there's people trained on it, but they're also, again, it's a case of building relationships with each other, and if a pupil is friendly with with a member of staff, that they feel that there is something that's really troubling them, then it's good for them to get it off their chest, and there is someone that, that they can speak to. In terms um, of the school position on this, Peter, what did you actively put in place after this event or these events? Well, there's the opportunity for for pupils to come together and grieve, first of all, mm-hmm. and, and so that that's normal for for people to do that. But I, I think there's there's different things have been put in place, and I know, for example, recently, no sooner than um, a few months ago, the, when their pupils came back, I think it may be in June, um, we had speakers coming in to engage and speak to all our junior classes with regards to, to mental health and dealing with mental health, no more so than you would deal you know, physically and how to get stronger and then there's advice on diet and everything like this. Yes. Then there's advice on how to be, uh, become mentally tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was A.B. Coaching actually came in in the, in the form of a fellow Stephen Beatty, I think you may maybe have come across him. And he was brilliant, the pupils really engaged and, and bought into it. There was the, uh, great feedback. So that's a positive development, and it gets people thinking. And, and um, it's all about you know letting pupils know that if they are in trouble, there are support structures in, in place. There's people they can go to, but most importantly, it's important that they talk, they get it off their chest, and that they don't leave a trail of dis- uh, destruction behind them. And again, you've touched on this briefly, but from your experience of, what did you say, 26 or 28, 28. years? 28 years. What, what, and even from your, your GAA career, what and how has sport made a positive impact on mental health from your perspective and what you've seen and witnessed? Well, first of all, in, in, in terms of self-esteem, um, if you're good at something, then you should pursue it and you should do it because um, 
you should be enjoying it and getting a bit of fun out of it. So there's the intrinsic satisfaction from, from taking part and doing something that, that makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. So from that point of view, that, that raises your, your self-esteem. From uh, And in my case, it was definitely football. I felt most comfortable, something I wanted to do. And gradually, um, it's a team sport. Um, you do build build friendships um, for off the field of play you find yourself hanging around with, with, with people that you were playing with yeah. so there's there's the consequences of, of being involved in a team and being involved in a sport I, I think it's very important when you look back on it you only did it because you enjoyed it mm-hmm. and, and f- because of the crack but when you're older and when you have children yourself you see there's, there's more than one reason why you want your children involved in something that has such positive outcomes. And I think on the physical um, aspect of it, uh, I believe that the brain releases um, endorphins, you know, from during physical activity, uh, being out in the fresh air, as you say. So it's, it has a mental, a physical impact as well as a mental, a positive mental a- one. A- absolutely, and I didn't realise back then, mm-hmm. but by going out and blowing steam and yes. running for an hour and a half, yes. You're coming back in, in in better mood. Now that doesn't mean to say there's not times the sport causes you anxiety. Of course. And what it does do, and this relates to to life as well, mm-hmm. that prior to big games, you know, for days before that, you're you're extremely nervous. I can only imagine. Uh, hours before a big game, you're extremely nervous. You you find yourself sitting on the toilet more until, than more than you should be. Hits you the first punch. And then, <laughs> but that's part. And at times you feel like saying, "Why am I putting myself through this?" Yeah. So. But as soon as the game's over, there's a, re- uh, a release. Mm-hmm. And that's, you feel better. And, and and that mirrors what goes on in life. There's lots of things you do in life you mightn't be happy about, you mightn't really look forward to. Yeah. But it's part and parcel of it. And also, sport teaches you to, to take the rough with the smooth. Mm-hmm. I haven't met anybody that's played on any team that has never been beaten, mm-hmm. that hasn't experienced defeat, the, the pain of defeat. So again, that, that replicates life. No matter what you go to do and no matter what you might want to do, there's going to be hurdles placed in your way. And that can be defeat. And from sport, it can be defeat. It can be injury. It can be personal setback. It can be others telling you that you're not good enough. So you have to learn to, to deal with that in a sporting context. And when it comes to the real world, it's exactly the same. So I think people that have participated... And sporting activities have benefited from that, from that when it comes to to uh, the the real world and and getting out into employment and and whatnot. So that's that should be a, a, a help to them. So in terms of of youngsters starting out, absolutely. Um, excuse me, I'm talking through my nose because of hay fever and such asthma there now. Okay. But um, they, I'll be advocating that they get involved in sports right away but remember that it's not everything's not life's not rosy uh, you're not going to win everything you're not going to be the best but if you're willing to learn and uh, you'll get great enjoyment great satisfaction out of it I'm just going to give out um, the Samaritan's phone number at this point and I will again later on so the Samaritan's phone number is 116 123 so that's 116 123 Peter what if any initiatives has the GA and in particular Club Tyrone put in place to help alleviate any of these issues that we're discussing today? Um, in, in fairness, um, the GA from from Croke Park down have been very good in this regard. Years ago, there would have been no structures in in, in place, um, but now they're training up um, uh, officers at county board level. Um, and it's reaching down now and and the club level as well to, to help um, uh, deal with with issues like this and I know Frank Diamond was involved in our own club there last year he, he came to speak um, he worked for the Alps uh, group okay they a big fundraiser for them their charity match a few months ago but uh, Frank came in and we had volunteers who were trained up and and to um, you know, trying to identify and work with people and dealing with with uh, issues of, of mental health, again very important. So, Throne uh, have their own people in in charge, um, who go around and 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 deal with uh, clubs at at various levels, um, and I know from the the teams themselves, again, years ago, 
that it wouldn't have been mentioned that there was someone involved and I know from the academy squads that I was working with and uh, under 21 squads you have to expect now that uh, you're bringing in maybe 28 to 30 youngsters they're coming from different backgrounds mm-hmm. they're coming from different clubs mm-hmm. and if you think that each one of them is you know physically and mentally in the shape of their lives then you're you're living on another planet yeah. so um we had a point of contact that was willing to come in and support someone with a football background and mm-hmm. um, someone who's trained up and into dealing working with players so that was a phone call away that person was there we knew who they were and if we felt that uh, there was a need for him to come in, uh, then that that help was there, yeah. and I know in cases um, that proved to be invaluable. And I know some people that we would have recommended, and people that we have introduced this person to, <coughs> that there's still contact there, and this person's a great source of help to them. So well, that's a nice story to hear. Oh, that that happens, and that that uh, I'm sure continues to happen. The thing is, we don't know. Uh, a lot of people that I get injured, very easy to identify when they get physically injured and all the rest and what physios they've been with and whatnot. But you maybe you don't hear but I'm aware and I know that that help is there at county level and you'd like to think it's it's there with, with clubs as well. And I know you can't speak for all our clubs and counties but I'm assuming something similar uh, is rolled out in the other 31 counties throughout Ireland. Yeah it is because and again we talk about the taboo in recent years you have players you know, been more upfront and, mm-hmm. and been out there. They're not afraid to say that they've um, got a physical injury, and now they're not uh, afraid to say that they've had tough times um, mentally. They've went and got help. They've, they've, they've overcame that, and they're in a better position because of it. And you know, a lot of these people would say they still need to be trained up. That it's not, you know, it comes the bouts of uh, depression, maybe at times that that that's part of their life and have to learn to deal with the wee signs whenever they come and uh, once they know how to deal with it mm-hmm. then they know that they'll get the better of it um, and when you see top players coming out and saying this then that's very encouraging for mm-hmm. for younger lads that's to go and seek help because these players are role models effectively to a vast majority of the people that go and watch them on a weekly and monthly basis so as you rightfully identify Peter to see these people having the ability and being brave enough I guess to step outside and say listen you know I'm human like the rest of yeah. you yeah well just because the, the, they play at elite level sport it yeah. doesn't mean to say um, <clears throat> I think it was Paul O'Connell that I read recently and now this is one of the best rugby players of our country and he played for the, the Lions and all the rest he the, his anxiety levels before games uh, was unbelievable and there was more times he felt like pulling out mm-hmm. because he was so anxious because the nerves were, were getting the, the better of him now this is somebody six foot eight nine and when he plays he would go through a brick wall and you think he's you know he's no issues or whatever yes, so you don't know every, no. you don't know what's no. going on and, and people's and to hear him saying that it was refreshing because at times there would have been games I would have been the same yes and uh, people just take it your experience just because your experience doesn't mean to say mm-hmm. the nerves go away or anything right. that's far from it yeah, yeah absolutely Peter to the best of your knowledge how and what have other sporting organisations so I'm just thinking about not the GA done on this matter and is there any crossover as in joined up thinking between sports um, I can't really answer that okay. question Niall because I don't uh, I don't no, mm-hmm. um, just thinking. Even you know, um, there's a lot of um, my friends come back years ago. Would have played soccer. Would have played GA. Would have um, played rugby as well. And um, <clears throat> so it's just something that struck me. You know, a wee bit of joined up thinking between different types of sports because you've got the, a lot of the same people playing them. You know, it would be maybe something more thinking about. Yeah, absolutely, and um, they're going through the same range of emotions whenever they're they're, they're taking part. I know here in the school we would have had the cycle against suicide, um, which was a campaign uh, throughout Ireland, and you were coming across and meeting a lot of people from different sports that that were taking part, and it was interesting to hear their stories. But um, I'm sure there is joint initiatives, but I I can't speak of any off the top of my head. No problem. Again, this is all a matter of people's opinion. But how do you think poverty plays a part in societies and in general 
people's mental health and have you experienced you know you can look at maybe a family that seems to be above the bread line for want of a better word do you see is there a trend now, i know you're not an expert but i'm just asking you on your 28 years of dealing with pupils um do you know what uh, it's, it's very hard to say mm. um number one you talk about the bread line number one it's very hard to know what families are on the bread line and want because again people mm. put on a face maybe that Sorry. um but it, it's when it comes to mental health issues um there's no it, it breaks down all barriers so um the reason why i ask that question peter and i don't have the stats here in front of me but i think you know there's study after study done not alone here in ireland but around the world and i think most of the results show that people that are living in more deprived areas and you know maybe have single parents and stuff like this and maybe some of the parents have alcohol issues or whatever you know that their mental health and suicide is more prevalent in them um, cases. Yeah, I wouldn't dispute that. Um, and I would agree with you that it's it's out there. It's, it's And people might think you're talking poverty. You know, we're in the heart of Mid-Ulster here. There's no poverty in, in Mid-Ulster. Um, you need to go to third world countries or the bigger oh, cities, Dublin yeah. or, or whatever. Look, there was an initiative set up here in, during COVID in the school, it was a food share initiative set up by another Kildress man, Owen Lahern, a teacher in the school, that they were able to provide support and in, in, in the form of food yeah. parcels and uh, to families of uh, school members, and thinking that the numbers would have been small mm-hmm. that would have been coming in to benefit from from this help. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers were far from small, yeah. um, and his service he's still providing it. I think just as you came in there, you would have seen a van coming in delivering food into Owen and a number of staff were, were getting boxes ready. So, uh, for for people to think that uh, poverty doesn't exist here, they, they, they have another thing coming. They need to get they need to get into the real world. Only but, a good family friend of ours, uh, Dennis Lottery, who is involved with St Vincent de Paul's, more or less reflected your same story there. From his experience throughout COVID as well, yeah, and even before, yeah, absolutely. So, and and to, to, to deal with uh, that's an issue in itself. You know, that's a, a a separate issue, and it's important that those people and people like that and people that are struggling in those terms understand that there's a lot of people there that do care about them, and mm-hmm. that society, uh, for all its feelings, that they're. Um, are strong groups and strong personalities out there that are doing their best, and it's it's a case of knowing where where the help lies, and, you see, you see and, and that's that's crucial when it comes to so many aspects of yeah. of life. He said, "With society and all its feelings, can our government do more? Can our ministers do more? The people that hold the purse strings, the people that." Um, we'll be knocking on our doors, looking our votes within the next six months. You can't help going back to politics now, can you? No, uh, but, but it's, very, it's, very, it's you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's relevant. Well, and, and I'm not digging out on my they can, there. They can do a lot better, they're, absolutely. But there, there's a monster created that they can do very little about in the form of, of social media or anti-social media, in, in my opinion. Because, what do you mean by that? Because in, in so many cases, that's... You know, the root of, of so much evil in, in, in terms of hurt that is caused. You talk about mm. poverty, the, the amount of people that show or indicate that maybe things are okay on the face of it, to put it out there, to show that, that they're okay, to show that their life is great. What is Facebook? What is Twitter? What, what are all these things about? It's showing everybody about the great time you're having and the f- amount of friends that you have friends that you've never spoken to before yet they're, they're friends or, and amount of likes and, and likes and, and so on so people's lives are, are becoming taken over by by aspects of social media I'm not saying all of it's poor I'm not but I'm saying there's a monster there that's, that's getting bigger and it's, do, it's not doing our, our, our society any good that's so true in my opinion I really agree with that uh, it's a show and not alone social media in all aspects of, of our lives. And, and as you're right, people want to paint this picture 
of their perfect idyllic life and look at me and look at how wonderful me and my family are and whatnot. And, and you know, we're all maybe guilty of it to certain degrees at times ourselves, even what we're discussing today will be going out on social well, media. <laughs> but, you know, I'd like to think this is a, a positive conversation while we won't fix the world, but at least, you know, we're trying to, um, I suppose, talk about a subject that, you know, has been a taboo subject, as you rightfully pointed out at the start of this conversation. But um, it's a very interesting point, and I think one that, that we could actually do a full podcast on. Debate for another day. Uh, exactly, exactly. Peter, just getting back to, I suppose, trying to link in what we're talking about, the mental health awareness, and obviously your passion, GA. How important is the GA in terms of community and the benefits it can bring, bring to the wider community, from your experience? Yeah, it's, it's, it's massive, and... To me, I suppose the GA is our community, and um, coming where, where we come from, that's all we we seem to know. And it's, it's about bringing people together. It's about helping one another out. Right? Back to the points that, that that you made, and knowing where where their help is. And unfortunately, and you've heard it on so many occasions, that you only see the real benefit of, of the the GA whenever. People have been struck down with tragedy in some shape or form, and the GA as a family rallies around them and, and support. And that's what a good society and a good community, no matter what the sport is, that's that's what they do. And I know other sports have 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 done likewise. And in terms of breaking down barriers, I think the the GA has still barriers to break down, um, but it's it's moving in the in the right direction and. Um, as Willie Anderson, I was listening to recently talking about the benefits, and he's speaking from a rugby perspective of, of sport and, and, and what the GAA does. So it's great great to hear that. But as I say, um, fr- from my own point of view, uh, my life and, and the community that I live in would certainly be worse off if, if it wasn't for, for the GAA. Okay. Peter, you'll be glad to hear coming to. Um tailing off to the end of this conversation now. So um, a few more light-hearted, maybe, uh, qu- questions here. Who was your toughest opponent on the field? For years, I said my toughest opponent was asthma. I struggled with, with asthma when I was playing and found it hard to get my breath at the time. So you couldn't do much when you were struggling to get a breath on, on the pitch. My God, but, I wouldn't have liked to see you well, asthma. Well, that's a fact. Um, but... Kieran McKeever, Derry was was always without a doubt toughest man marker, and there was a number of games when I started playing championship football. Came up again Derry, came up again Kieran McKeever, and he simply didn't give me a kick. So uh, without a doubt, he would rank as my toughest opponent. Oh, okay. Well, Kieran McKeever, you mentioned there from Derry. Just um, I'm going to name check uh, another Derry person here. Have you ever had any on-field clashes with Derry's Joe Brawley? I think he blew me a kiss one day on on the pitch. Uh, now that that was the height of it. Uh, no doubt after no, after he was after he only scored something. No, no, Joe was at one end of the pitch and I was at the other. So it was fellas like Faye Devlin and Paul Devlin and um, Paul Donnelly had had the privilege of big Finber McCollum maybe once or twice. But um, so off the field, yes, you would definitely hear him before you'd see him. But on the pitch, no, I'd never never any run-ins with Joe. Okay. What is the difference in playing in an All-Ireland final, Peter, than sitting in the stands like the rest of it, watching your son Dara playing, and indeed your son-in-law also, Peter, Peter Hart? Um, you know, what, what is the contrast that you find? Are you more nervous when you're not on the field watching them, or what way is it? I'm much more nervous watching as a parent rather than playing. Once, as I've said earlier, Niall, once you play and you get out there, the tension leaves you. Um, and you go and do things naturally and, and, and the game flows but you can do very little sitting in the stand but uh, but be anxious and uh, it was a, a tough few days but uh, thankfully things worked out for them all right. And it goes without saying you're immensely proud of your son Dara and, and as well as the rest of the, the entire panel. Absolutely. Um, um, I'll, I'll, I'll use the same response that that my father did that I was told that he had said somebody had, had told him after we had won, uh, won some big match that um, you, you must be very proud of uh, your sons Peter and Pascal 
and he said, I'm very proud of all my sons and daughters. Um, so I'll, I'll say the same. Whether they win or not doesn't define them as, as what they do off it. But and I know what you, the point you're getting at, and to see you, one of your own representing the county and winning All-Ireland, when you consider the amount of great players that never get an opportunity to play in an All-Ireland final. Yeah. So to, to play in one and, and to win one was definitely special. Name me a county that you absolutely hated losing against. That's easy. It's Derry. It had to be Derry. <laughs> I know be- Derry's getting a because, bad Because they kept beating us so much oh, uh, when, okay. when I started playing. Maybe that maybe that was the reason. But <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't, And I don't hate them. Uh, oh, no, no. Or I, I didn't don't, mean that uh, But when I was playing at that time, you'd hated losing against Derry. You hated losing against Armagh because they were big rivals of with, with Throne. But... Um, uh, apart from that, no, there's uh, Armand Derry would be the two. And I guess like Ar- Armand Derry were sandwiched to the three counties beside. That's and it. we've got members of family, our own family, living in all these counties. So we, you've got all that inter. That's in, it. Yeah. And, and when your workplace, for example, exactly. when I come in here to work, the first person I see is we, uh, we Jerry Devlin, the caretaker from the loop. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Funny, I haven't seen a pile of them this past few days, but uh, <laughs> normally he'd, he'd be knocking on the door. Now, if Throne were, were beat there over the weekend, he'd be knocking on the door on a Monday morning. He's been conveniently keeping out of your way. He this has, past he has. I, I wonder why. Peter, um, if you weren't born in County Throne, what other county would you have liked to have played for that you would have a, a soft spot for, shall I say? Well, as a, as a youngster growing up, at Kerry was the team that you looked up to. They were, they're not called the kingdom for for nothing, right. and um, the quality of football, and the type of individuals of great characters down there that that I would have uh, aspired to. So I'd say, possibly Kerry. Yeah. Um, friends and cousins down Donegal as well, and we'd we'd spend a lot of time down there in the summer. Mm-hmm. So, although there's been a fair bit of rivalry between Throne and Donegal in recent years, but it would either be Kerry or Donegal. Mm-hmm. I asked you a couple of months ago who was your toughest opponent, so I'm going to ask you now, the most skillful player you've ever played against? Um, Frank McGuigan, maybe, that I've seen, that I've played against, I would have to say two Kerry men would rank very highly, Seamus Moynihan or Morris Fitzgerald, I played against both of them. Uh, sheer class, Brilliant competitors, brilliant sports uh, men, and highly skillful. Very good. Peter, how many current or ex-pupils have you taught that have went on to make the Toronto County panel? That could, be, that could be one that you might have to start using. No, I wouldn't have the answer to that. Thankfully, because the answer's uh, too many that I care to remember. There's yeah. four, four on the county team at the minute. We had them in celebrating their All-Ireland victory last week. Frank Burns, um, Michael Casty, um, Michael O'Neill, and Kieran McGeary. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, there was a few on the panel that left. Declan McClure, uh, Danny McNulty was was on the panel up until recently. Kyle Coney, uh, Dee Mulgrew. I, I I could go on there uh, down through the years. Um, Mulligan's probably the most famous, of course. Uh, and horse Davlin and, and so on. But look, thankfully there's been a lot of lads and football here in, in Holy Trinity is of great importance. The club clubs in the local area take their Gaelic games very seriously mm-hmm. and they like to think that when the, their boys or girls come in here that they're very well coached and I know we're set up at the minute, we're blessed and that we have uh, a number of teachers, a lot of teachers who give up their time to take boys and girls at break time, dinner time and after school. And we've great coaches for, for all the teams, men and, and women of great good experience from playing the game as well. So um, we're in a strong position when it comes to uh, boys and girls from Holy Trinity representing the county team. Very good. And I hope that continues. Absolutely. And I echo that as well, obviously. <laughs> Uh, Peter, favourite sport other than GA? Well, it'd have to be golf, I suppose. Um, What's your handicap? Uh, I'm not telling you. <laughs> um, you must be a bandit then. Uh, no, I'm not a bandit. I, I, I don't play in competitions, it's charity games or, yes. or classics, but um, it's love getting out and, mm. and love playing. I just would love to get at it more often. 
to bring the handicap down. I'm going to ask a few people that know you to find out the answer. No, I'm not. I'm not a good golfer, but I would like to be a good golfer. (laughs) Like the rest of us, water or alcohol, Peter? Water during the day. (laughs) Great answer. Best motivational speech you've ever gotten. I've been in a position where I've been on the end of a few really good motivational speeches. Something to I inspire our listeners I, here. I, I, I'm not too sure. Um, I'm not too sure if I could if I could pick out one. Uh, um, I played under Mickey Hart at club and, and county in terms of motivation before games. Brilliant um, with Eugene McKenna, Art McCurry. You always picked up something that Art McCurry would would say with Danny Ball. Look, I'm blessed in in that regard. So. Uh, um, I would be a phone that would listen to all coaches and managers when they're when they're making points, and I would always get something out of it, um, no matter what it was. And unfortunately, not all players or sports people are like that. But um, I think if you have that, you know, develop the attitude that you never stop learning, then you're going to become a better person, a better sports uh, uh, sports person. And on the throne team at the minute, we've had a number of lads who weren't good enough to make the minor team, but yet they're winning all Ireland. My day with a number of players that weren't good enough to make the minor or on the twenty-one county team, yet they ended up winning all stars and winning all Ireland because they had the mentality that you never stop learning. So I think that's a very good point. Um, yeah, no matter what level you're at, I think, and in terms of motivation, everybody you learn from. Uh, anybody that's coaching you or over you and thankfully I've had plenty of good people uh, giving me good advice always keep the ears open absolutely two ears one mouth and use it in that uh, ratio very good Peter very good you sound like a teacher now <laughs> thanks <Dan. laughs> Peter you're still a very young man and not meaning to be too morbid but um, and I know you're a modest man but how would you like to be remembered um I don't really care to be honest it's not something that I, that, that I think about no of course um, not um, uh, somebody that did what he said he was going to do would be alright leave it like that and that's a good enough answer I think this the next one kind of covers you've maybe covered it but best piece of advice on or off the field so in life yeah something that you, you say oh that's a good one and you know what you've, you've you've thought about it and it had meaning on it you know, you've, you've made it work for your advantage, so it can be sport related or just. Uh, well, I'll, I'll take you back to something I said earlier in terms of never stop learning. Simple, yes. simple as that. If you have that mentality, yeah. you'll do well no matter what mm-hmm. aspect of uh, life you go into, be it employment or uh, sport. Mm-hmm. So simple. And no, funny, never stop learning. You and I are of a similar age and of similar hairstyles too. Uh, unfortunately, but going, um, going backwards. F- f- funny that that's something that I've been very conscious of as I've grown older in life. You know, always keep keep the ears open. You know, be open to new ideas. And there's nobody in this life that I now meet that I can't take something positive away from meeting. Absolutely, and and unfortunately, there's plenty of people that do close their ears to people, or they have a perception of someone uh, and. They shut themselves down. So, um, absolutely, there's great characters and great people. And, and again, some of the coaching, for example, in football, maybe seem to be way out there or a bit crazy. Mm. Well, you'll pick up something from it that is brilliant and, exactly. and forward thinking. So, uh, I enjoy being with those type of people and mm. characters that are fun to be with because there's always there's there's plenty of people in life that will bring you down, and they're always looking. Um, in, in the wing mirrors at what's going on behind them rather than moving forward so it's important not to be seen to be one of those people and, and to fall into that trap and, and to enjoy and to live life to the full second last question you'll be delighted to hear who inspires you Peter and why um, uh, lots of different people mm-hmm. and, and again back to the previous point people that uh, do their business with with a smile on their face and have a bit of energy about them. Um, they're good company to be with, but you'll learn from them, they'll move forward. And in the role I'm in at the school at the minute, um, I'm out meeting a lot of 
businesses um, and letting them know what's happening with school. You're meeting a lot of MDs and you're seeing the reason why a lot of people have got themselves into top positions and top jobs is because there's an energy about them, there's a forward thinking yeah. about them. So um, it's very important, I think, to surround yourself with, with good people, reliable people and people that want to move forward. So again, be it sport or, or life, uh, people you can rely on, um, it's, it's important. So in terms of me taking inspiration, you know, I look at my own family and my mother and father and what they went through and how they handled and conducted themselves and to see that the family is still so close. Um, I think that's important and you always have that support structure there uh, if, if need be. So I was lucky I didn't have too far to go to for people to inspire me. That's a very nice thing to be able to say. Last question, and I um, don't know if you've ever listened to any of our podcasts before, but that's the question that most people hate. If you could invite three people, either alive or dead, to your fictional dinner party, who would they be and why? I appreciate that might be sprung this question on you, so um, give it a last year. Uh, if, if it's a dinner party, um, th- there needs to be a bit of crack, and uh, um, it would have to be, it would have to be somebody like uh, that's going to make me laugh. So people that make me laugh, Benny Tierney there. A lot of people would be where if you used <laughs> yes. to do goalkeeper for ma. Oh, we'll definitely do that job. Uh, if it's a dinner party, we need a bit of music, and uh, I could listen to Christy Moore uh, all day long, and he'll provide the entertainment. And if it's a dinner party, we need food, Niall, and uh, there's no one can cook better than my wife, so uh, oh, wouldn't she have to be there? Wow. I'm saying my God because I've done, I think, nearly 60 podcasts, and nobody has ever invited their significant well, other, as Del Boy would say. Well, you must sure and put this out now, and, and, and she's going to have to hear about this. Oh, that, that is genuinely very nice. Um, lovely thing to say, Peter. Thank you very much. Very good. Well, Peter Canavan, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Um, you're a busy man. You, you're teaching here in the school. You've got a family. You're still very much active in, in, in GAA. And you've got this massive project, a uh, £30 million project, that you're trying to um, <clears throat> get finished here uh, on the Holy Trinity. And it's the Holy, Holy Trinity Foundation. People can go on to online, Peter, and they can see where they can make contact, maybe make a donation. And I just want to give that wee plug again. I also want to just give out the Samaritans number again. And it's simply 116123. 116123. So say, Peter, you're a gentleman. I really appreciate your time. And something on a personal note that has always struck me, and I hear countless people always saying this about you as an individual, is that your modesty, um, because a lot of people could get carried away with the success that you've had, but um, you're a very down-to-earth person, and I think that came across loud and clear um, in our conversation today. So on that note, um, thank you very much. Anything you would want to add, Peter? Not at all. It's a pleasure, Nell, and uh, all the best in the future. Thank you for listening, folks. And if you do like it, um, we'd appreciate any comments. And stay tuned for our next one. Take care. Be good. Bye-bye.